This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vices? I don't have to show you any stinking vices! This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome one and all. It's the Chris Salcedo Show, and we start off the show with breaking news. We're going to skip the flip around the day because everybody on cable news anyway is focused on the event that's happening right now in the in the Senate chambers in one of the uh, one of the adjacent offices or hearing rooms as the intelligence committee is hearing is hearing from the Attorney General of the United States Jeff Sessions and we'll get to you live here in a second to what's happening Mr. Sessions is reading an opening statement but let me take you back in time to about 3 or 4 minutes ago when Mr. Sessions said this let me state this clearly colleagues i have never met with or had any conversation with any russians or any foreign officials concerning any type of interference with any campaign or election in the united states further i have no knowledge of any such conversations by anyone connected to the trump campaign i was your colleague in this body for 20 years at least some of you and I participate. And the suggestion that I participated in any collusion, that I was aware of any collusion with the Russian government to hurt this country, which I have served with honor for 35 years, or to undermine the integrity of our democratic process, is an appalling and detestable lie. So uh, that's the attorney general just moments ago, and I I think he has a point, because if you want to find a senator who colludes with foreign governments, including the former Soviet Union, you would have to go back to the days of Ted Kennedy. He actually colluded to undermine a sitting president, Ronald Reagan, with uh, the Russians to to, to get actually colluded with the with the Soviet Union to stop Ronald Reagan's re-election. You, ha- you have to go back all the way to, to, the, to Ronald Reagan uh, to, to detail Democrats' treachery in this regard. I'm, I'm not trying to filibuster. I, just, I know that Mr. Sessions is about ready to um, wrap up his statement. And when he does, I want to get some of the first questions in from at least one Republican and one Democrat. Here's what I suspect is going to happen today. 
is that Jeff Sessions will be answering questions, much like James Comey was answering questions. Not about the Russian influence on our election. As a matter of fact, you can't even hear Democrats talking about that these days. They, they can't, they're not talking about what Russia did to try to influence our elections, not at all. It's all about bash Trump, which was pointed out to Jack Reed, a Democrat, on Fox News Sunday, Democrat from Rhode Island. Uh, Fox News Sunday's Chris Wallace, to his credit, pointed this out. But, but forgive me, Senator. I mean, I, I watched all three hours of the hearing. Right. There was precious little talk about what the Russians did. It was all about President Trump. Well, it was about President Trump, but uh, Director Comey made several, several points very emphatically that we should understand that this attack, this hostile action by the Russians was unprecedented. Yeah, unprecedented how? Democrats really didn't much care to get to the bottom of that. Uh, and not only that, but it seems that James Comey had, what, two or three minutes? Two or three minutes to say, yeah, this is a, this is a problem. Uh, and the rest of the time, you Democrats, no, notice how Jack Reed didn't say, oh, we Democrats actually focused on that because they didn't. So, and I, I think that's what we're going to get a steady diet of today. Uh, Richard Burr is about ready to uh, start questioning Attorney General Sessions, let's listen in. Committee sensitive materials should be used relative to your questions. With that, I recognize myself at this time for 10 minutes. <coughs> General Sessions, um, you talked about the Mayflower uh, Hotel, uh, where the president gave his first foreign policy speech. In, it's been covered in the press uh, that the president was there, you were there, others were there. Uh, from your testimony, you said you don't remember whether Ambassador Kislyak was there, the Russian ambassador. Is that correct? I did not remember that. Um, I did not remember that, um, but I understand he was there. Uh, and um, so I, I don't doubt that he was. I believe that representations are correct. In fact, I recently saw a video uh, of him coming into the room. But you never remember having a, a, a conversation or a meeting with Ambassador Kislyak? I do not. And there was, in that event, was there ever a private room setting that, uh, that you were involved in? No. With uh, other than the reception area uh, that was shut off from... Uh, um, I guess the main crowd, um, a couple of dozen, two to three dozen people. I would take for granted in an event like this, the president shook some hands. Yes, he came in and shook hands in the group. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that there were some staff that were with you at that event. Um, my legislative director at the time. This your, your, your Senate staff? Senate legislative director. Uh, who was a retired U.S. Army colonel who served on the Armed Services staff with Senator John Warner before uh, she joined my staff. Breaking news, the Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions, talking about Russian collusion live on Capitol Hill right here on the Blaze Radio Network and the Chris Salcedo Show. Of the campaign for this event. I came there as an interested person 
uh, very um, anxious to see how President Trump would do in his first major foreign policy address. I believe he'd only given one major speech before. That would maybe at the Jewish APAC event. Uh, and so it was a, an interesting time to, for me to observe his uh, uh, delivery and the message he would make. That was my main purpose of being there. Now, you reported two other meetings with Ambassador Kislyak, one in July on the sidelines of the Republican Convention, I believe, and one in September in your Senate office. Um, have you had any other interactions with government officials over the year in a campaign capacity? I, I'm not. I'm not asking you from the standpoint of your yeah, life, but in yeah. the campaign capacity. I, no, Mr. Chairman. I, I, I've stretched my, racked my brain to make sure I could answer any of those <clears throat> questions um, correctly, and and I did not. I would just offer for for you that uh, the when asked about whether I had had any meetings with Russians by the reporter in March. We immediately recalled the conversation, the encounter I had at the convention and the meeting in my office and made that public. Uh, I never intended not to include that. I would have gladly have reported the uh, meeting, the encounter that may have occurred, that some say occurred in uh, the Mayflower, if I had remembered it or, or if it actually occurred, which I don't remember that it did. General Sessions, on March 2, 2017, you formally recused yourself from any involvement in the Russian investigation being conducted by the FBI and the Department of Justice. What are the specific reasons that you chose to recuse yourself? Well, the specific reason, uh, Mr. Chairman, is a CFR, a Congressional uh, Code of Federal Regulations, uh, put out by the Department of Justice, part of the De Department of Justice uh, rules, and it says this, I'll read from it, 28 CFR 45.2, unless authorized, no employee shall participate in a criminal investigation or prosecution if he has a personal or political relationship with any uh, person involved in the conduct of an investigation uh, it goes on to say, uh, for political, uh, uh, a, in a, a political campaign, and it says if you have a close identification with an elected official or candidate uh, arising from service as a principal advisor, you should not, you should not uh, participate in an investigation of that campaign. So, would you so many have suggested that my recusal is because I felt I was a subject of the investigation myself, that I may have done something wrong, but this is the reason I recused myself. I felt I was required to under the rules of the Department of Justice, and as a leader of the Department of Justice, I should comply with the rules, obviously. So did your legal counsel basically know from day one you would have to recuse yourself of this investigation because of the current statute? Well, I do have a timeline of what occurred. Uh, I was sworn in on the 9th, I believe, of um, February. Uh, I then, uh, the, on the 10th, had my first meeting to generally discuss this issue where the CFR was not discussed. Uh, we had several other All right, folks, a lot of this is in the weeds. Uh, uh, the... Time. 
Attorney General dictating why he recused himself, what rules that he is complying with to uh, for this recusal. I think the w- real fireworks will happen when we start hearing from Democrats on what line of questioning. And let me make a prediction that Democrats will scantily ask about Russia's interference in these elections. They want to tar and feather the administration. We'll get back into it on the other side of the break. It's Chris Salcedo's show here on The Blaze. Keep up with The Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Listening to the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, Senator Mark Warner about ready to start uh, grilling Jeff. Let's listen in. Committee and other committees as appropriate. I don't think it's um, good policy to continually bring cabinet members or the attorney general for multiple committees going over the same things over and over. I know other members of the Judiciary Committee or Appropriations Committee may want well, they, to raise I'm those sure, issues. But let me just ask about this committee. I just gave you my answer, Thank Mr. You. Uh, what about, can we also get your commitment, since there will be questions about some of these meetings that took place or not, that we could get access to documents or memoranda. What Mark Warner was asking here, folks, I just want to bring you up to speed, is that he hoped, and he's, he did this in his opening remarks, his rather lengthy and boring open remarks, Mr. Warner wanted to make sure that administration, that uh, Mr. Sessions would come up to the hill, the hill any time that he was requested, would come back over and over and over again. And this is, uh, and the Democrats are actually doing the tactics that I wish the Republicans had done, which was to call up administration officials constantly and get their butts in front of committees to make them justify what Team Obama was doing to the American people. Uh, the Democrats showed us the way. Of course, Republicans didn't want to. Well, no, no, we have to have the business of the American people. Right now, uh, or back in the Obama era, it would have done us well to slow down the apparatus of Mr. Obama and his destruction of, of, uh, of America as he saw it and the implementation of his brand of socialism. Right, You're hearing Mark Warner asking Jeff Sessions here is, hey, will you come back every time we ask so we can continue to get these administration officials up here mired in these, these hearings so that they can't do any of the work they were hired to do by the president and by the American people? no idea i'm not talking to him about it now if the we commit to this committee not to take any personal actions that might result in director Mueller's firing or dismissal well i think i probably could say that with confidence because i'm recused from the investigation in fact the way it works uh, senator warner is that the acting Attorney General, I'm, I'm aware of investigation, but I just wanted to get you on the record that is, you would uh, not. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rose, with your refusal, you would not, you would not take <laughs> any actions to try to have Director, uh, Special Investigator Mueller removed. Uh, I wouldn't think that would be appropriate for me to do. Yes, sir, I agree. Uh, to your knowledge, have any uh, Department of Justice officials been involved with conversations about any possibility of 
presidential pardons about any of the individuals involved with the Russia investigation? Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'm not able to comment on conversations with uh, uh, high officials within the White House. That would be a violation of the communications uh, rule that I'm I have to. It, is that uh, just so I can understand? Is the basis of that unwillingness to answer based on executive privilege or what? My it's a long-standing policy of the Department of Justice not to comment on conversations that the Attorney General has had with the President of the United States uh, for uh, confidential reasons that really are founded in the co-equal branch powers in the Constitution of the United States. But, but that, so, but just so I'm understanding, does that mean, are you claiming executive privilege no. today, sir? I'm not claiming executive privilege because that's the president's power. And He I wants, no Mark, Warner, Mark Warner is trying to write CNN's headline, trying to write MSNBS's headline. Are you claiming executive privilege? You want executive privilege? I'm going to say executive privilege one more time. Will you agree, Mr. Sessions? Anyway, suggesting that I have had any conversations concerning pardons. Totally apart from that, uh, there are privileges of communication within the Department of Justice uh, that we share, all of us do. We have a right to have full and robust debate within the Department of Justice. We encourage people to speak up and argue cases on different sides, and uh, those arguments are not I would, to I would be hope revealed. So. Historically, we've seen that they shouldn't be revealed. I would hope that the, you would agree that, since you've recused yourself from this investigation, that if the president or others would uh, pardon someone during the midst of this investigation while our investigation or director Mueller's investigation that would be uh, I would think problematic let me um, I, I want to one of comment has anybody talked about pardon Test nobody's talked about pardon this, this this is mr. this is mr. Warner again trying to write and generate headlines for MSNBS and for CNN and for other bi biased press outlets to say, oh, what about this What this idea about pardoning somebody? That, that would be really bad. And nobody's talking about it except for the Democrats. Um, did you ever have a conversation as a superior of Director Comey with his failure to perform or some of these ac accusations that he wasn't running the FBI in a good way or that somehow the FBI was is in turmoil? Did you have any conversations with Director Comey about those subjects? I did not. <laughs> so you were his his superior, and there were some fairly harsh things said about Director Comey. Um, you never thought it was appropriate to raise those concerns before he was actually terminated by the president? Uh, I did not do so. Uh, a um, memorandum was prepared by the Deputy Attorney General. Uh, who evaluated his form performance, noted some serious problems with it. One of And you agreed with those? Uh, I agreed with those. In fact, uh, Senator Warner, we had talked about it even before I was confirmed and before he was confirmed. It's something that we both agreed to, that a fresh start at the FBI was probably the best thing. It just, again, seems a little... I could understand that if you talked about that before you came on, you had a chance for a fresh start. There was no fresh start. Suddenly, we're in the midst of the investigation, and with timing that seems a little peculiar, the, what kind of, to, at least to me, was out of the blue. The no, no, no. The investigation's been going on since last summer. D d does Senator Warner not understand? Does Senator is Senator Warner this dumb, this uninformed, or is he hoping that all of you out there are this dumb and uninformed?
This investigation by Director Comey into possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia has been going on since last summer, nearly a year. What do you mean, out of the blue all of a sudden? This isn't out of the blue all of a sudden. That, that, that is very disingenuous on Senator Warner's part and very partisan. My understanding was that um, the president's son-in-law, Gerald, uh, Jared Kushner, was at, that, was at that meeting as well? I believe he was, yes. You don't recollect whether Mr. Kushner had any conversations with Ambassador Kislyak at that session? I do not. Okay. And to the best of your memory, you had no conversation with Amb- Ambassador Kislyak at that meeting? I don't recall it, Senator Warner. Um, it would have been, certainly, I can assure you, nothing improper if I'd had a conversation with him, and it's conceivable that that occurred. I just don't remember it. But there was nothing in your notes or memories so that. When you had a chance, and you did, and I appreciate, correct the record about the other two sessions in response to Senator Frank and Senator Leahy, this one didn't pop into your memory that maybe in the overabundance of, ca- of caution that you ought to report that this session as well. He's sitting there saying he doesn't remember. And it wasn't a session. It wasn't a meeting. He appeared at the same place where the Russian ambassador was. In my mind, that's not a meeting. Senator Warner, but there they are, setting setting the narrative, folks. Back in a minute, the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Taking in a little Latin flair with Chris Salcedo on the Blaze Radio Network. Guys, I don't want to dominate the entire show with the Attorney General and what he's in, in what he's up there doing. I, get, let me give you some general impressions before we dip back in. I think he's handling himself pretty well. He is slipping up on a couple of occasions, referring to this Senate committee as his colleagues, and they're they're no longer his colleagues. I I, I still get the impression that the Attorney General is trying to settle into his new job as as AG and not being a senator. And as you heard him articulate, he was a senator for an awful long time. Uh, That was one problem. He also, this this answer about, uh, I mean, he he had a prepared statement that I thought was done very well. And I, I, I just, if I were one of these witnesses, I... I, and especially somebody with the political acumen and the understanding of how the Senate works, I would love to throw it back in, in some of these Democrats' faces. Excuse me. I thought I was brought here to talk about Russian collusion with the United States. Are you alleging, Senator, that I colluded with the Russians? And if so, let me hear your evidence. Are you alleging that, that President Trump colluded with the Russians? If so, where's your evidence? Because everything I've heard talked about says he hasn't. And I've recused myself from the Russian investigation, so I don't know. So, uh, Senator Democrat, why don't you tell me? Where's your proof? Where's your proof? Uh, the Attorney General is speaking with another Republican here. Let's uh, dip in. Did you hear even a whisper or a suggestion 
or anyone making reference within that campaign that somehow the Russians were involved in that campaign? I did not. Okay. No what would you have ever, done if you'd have heard that? Well, I would have been shocked, and I would have known it was improper. And headed uh, for the exit, I suppose. Well, maybe. Right. Uh, so this was... Um, uh, you know, serious. This is a serious matter because what you're talking about is hacking into a private person or DNC computer and ob obtaining information and spreading that out. That's just not right. And I believe it's likely that laws were violated if that actually occurred. So it's an improper thing. Mr. Sessions, um, has any person from the White House or the administration including the President of the United States, either directed you or asked you to do any unlawful or illegal act since you've been Attorney General of the United States? Uh, no, Senator Rich. Thank not. You. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Feinstein. Thanks very much, uh, Mr. <laughs> Chairman. Uh, welcome, Attorney General. Thank you. Um, on uh, May 19th, um, Mr. Rosenstein, in a statement to the House of Representatives, uh, essentially told them that he learned on May 8th that President Trump intended to remove uh, Director Comey. When you wrote your letter on May 9, did you know that the President had already decided to fire Director Comey? Uh, Senator Feinstein, uh, I would say that I believe it's been made public that um, the president asked us our opinion. It was given, and he asked us to put that in writing. Uh, and um, I don't know how much more he said about it than that, but uh, I believe he has talked about it, and I would let his words speak for themselves. Well, on May 11th, uh, on NBC Nightly News, two days later, the president stated he was going to fire Comey regardless of the recommendation. So I'm puzzled about the recommendation because um, the decision had been made. So what was the need for you to write a recommendation? Well, we were asked our opinion, uh, and when we expressed it, which was consistent with... Uh, the uh, memorandum and the letter we wrote, uh, I felt comfortable, and in, in, uh, I guess the Deputy Attorney General did too, in, in providing that information in writing. So do you concur with the President uh, that he was going to fire Comey regardless of recommendation because the problem was the Russian investigation? Senator Feinstein, I guess I'll just have to let his words speak for himself. Uh, I'm not sure what was in his mind explicitly uh, when we talked with him. Did you ever discuss Director Comey's uh, FBI handling of the Russia investigations with the president or anyone else? Uh, Senator Feinstein, that would call for a communication between the attorney general and the president, and I'm not able to comment on that. You are not able to answer the question here whether you ever discussed that with him? That's correct. And how do you view that since you discussed his termination, why wouldn't you discuss the reasons? Well, I, 
those were put in writing and sent to the president, and he made those public, so uh, uh, he made that public. So you'd had no verbal uh, conversation with him well, about the firing uh, of Mr. Comey? I'm not able to discuss with you or confirm or deny uh, the nature of uh, private conversations that I may have had with the president on this subject or others. And I know that um, how this will be discussed, but that's the rules that has you know, been long others, adhered to by the Department of Justice, as you know, Senator Feinstein. You're a longtime colleague, <laughs> but we heard Mr. Coates and we heard Admiral Rogers say essentially the same thing, when it was easy just to say if the answer was no, no. Well, the easy would have been easier to say if it was yes, yes, but both would have been improper. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. how exactly were you involved in the termination of Director Comey? Because I am looking at your letter dated May 9, and um, you say the director of the FBI must be someone who follows faithfully the rules and principles who sets the right example for our law enforcement officials. Therefore, I must recommend that you remove Director Comey and identify an experienced and qualified individual to lead the great men and women of the FBI. Do you really believe that this had to do with Director Comey's performance with the men and women of the FBI? There was a clear view of mine and of uh, uh, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein as he set out at some length in his memoranda, which I adopted and sent forward to the president, that we had uh, problems there. And it was my best judgment that a fresh start at the FBI was the appropriate thing uh, to do. Uh, and when I asked, I said that to the president, is something I had adhered to. Deputy Rosenstein's letter uh, dealt with a number of things. When the, uh, Mr. Comey uh, declined the Clinton prosecution, uh, that was really a usurpation of the authority uh, of the federal prosecutors in the Department of Justice. It was a stunning development. The, the uh, FBI are, is the investigative team. They don't decide prosecution policies. And so uh, that was a, a thunderous thing. He also commented at some length on the declination of the Clinton uh, uh, prosecution, which you should not normally, and you shouldn't do. Uh, policies have been historic. If you decline, you decline, and you don't talk about it. There were other things that uh, had happened that indicated to me a lack of discipline, and it caused controversy on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, and, and I, let's not let's not forget, let's not forget. Just on this point, much has been made about about Comey and how a lot of confidence was lost in Comey among the FBI, uh, the rank and file in the FBI, which uh, McCabe and others have said was just patently untrue. However, however, when you drill down and you ask specifically, which Democrats are not interested in asking, but Republicans have, what was the reaction of the rank and file, the numerous FBI agents 
who were assigned to the Clinton email investigation. What was the reaction and the confidence level in James Comey when he jumped out there in front of the cameras? When he jumped out there and acted as basically judge, jury, and executioner on, on this matter, as Attorney General Sessions just rightly points out, he rightly points out that what, what James Comey did just wasn't done. He, he had undertaken a usurpation of the, 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 the prosecutors inside of the Department of Justice whose job it was to make that determination. His job was to investigate and turn over the evidence. Here's what we found. And James Comey used as an excuse the non-recusal of Loretta Lynch who inappropriately met on the tarmac with Bill Clinton and who she gave the command to James Comey not to drop an investigation uh, uh, but gave the command to call a criminal investigation something else to help out the Democrat who was running for president. That was the only command given to James Comey. And he didn't feel the need to jot that down on a memo and leak it to the New York Times, did he? No. And James Comey, when he got up there in this, uh, nearly a year ago now, in this press conference, and basically said, yeah, you know what, Hillary Clinton broke the law and, and several of her, her people broke the law, but we're not going to prosecute because no prosecutor in their right mind would prosecute. It, the, the people who were in charge of gathering the evidence in the Federal Bureau of Investigation on that case, they were demoralized and dispirited. And that is true. And that has been reported on and given in, in testimony that, yes, those individuals who thought they had an ironclad case against Hillary Clinton and her violation of the law, they were incredibly disappointed that all of their man hours, all of their work had been for naught because James Comey needed to satisfy his boss, Loretta Lynch. The James Comey who dutifully called the criminal investigation of Hillary Clinton a matter because he wanted to do what was best for the Democrat. And when he was given an inappropriate command by a superior, felt no need to write down memos and to leak to the press. However, when he was given a, a hope from President Trump about the Flynn investigation, he felt compelled to jot that down and leak that to the press. I think this is a wonderful, a wonderful juxtaposition and it reveals what kind of man James Comey is. He may have been a, a competent FBI man, but he was a dedicated Democrat, it would seem. At least he played very hard for that team. Telephone number, you want to reach out and say hi, folks. Uh, it, it, I would encourage you to do so if you want to uh, comment on what you've heard so far. 888 Some of you guys are already weighing in on Twitter, which is at Chris Salcedo TX, at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X on Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show. Be right back on The Blaze. This is The Chris Salcedo Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
The Chris Salcedo Show. Listen. Dial. Speak. 888-900-3393. Of course, the fireworks start happening uh, right when we go to break, but Senator Wyden is in a back and forth with Attorney General Sessions right now. Let's see if we can... As we end the hour, get some of these uh, fireworks in here. Of Director Comey, when it violated your recusal? It did not violate my recusal. It did not violate my recusal. Uh, that would be the answer to that. And the letter that I signed represented my views that had been uh, uh, formulated for some time. Mr. Chairman, just if I can finish, that answer, in my view, doesn't pass the smell test. The president tweeted repeatedly about his anger at investigations into his associates in Russia. The day before you wrote your letter, you, he tweeted that the collusion story was a total hoax and asked, when will this taxpayer-funded charade end? I don't think your answer passes the smell test. Well, Senator Wyden, I think I should be allowed to briefly respond at least and would say the letter, the memorandum uh, that Senator, uh, that uh, deputy, uh, Rosenstein wrote in my letter that uh, accompanied it uh, represented my views of the situation. I'll ask that on the second round. Thank you, Mr. Senator Collins. All right. Well, uh, Ron Wyden, of course, thinking that uh, Jeff Sessions talking about his subordinate, writing a letter about his subordinate, James Comey, was somehow out of bounds because James Comey should have been insulated because he was investigating Trump collusion with Russia. And that Attorney General Sessions, who directly oversaw James Comey, had no right to comment about it. Oh, but Loretta Lynch has every right to come down and say, hey, look, uh, when it comes to Hillary Clinton, I don't want you to call it a uh, uh, criminal investigation, which it is. I want you to call it a matter instead. Oh, that that's okay for the Democrat Attorney General to do. But when the Republican Attorney General is asked to give his opinion of James Comey. Oh, that's somehow off bounds because the Democrats are relying on James Comey to find something, anything, that can tie Donald Trump to the Russians. The problem for the Democrats is that something doesn't exist. So they gotta keep this little charade going as off as long as they possibly can. I'll be right back, folks. Hour two, next. This is The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is the Blaze Radio Network. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. I don't have to show you how to stink and This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, hour two of the Salcedo Show underway. Uh, Senator Heinrich, I don't know him very well, uh, is grilling Attorney General Sessions right now. We'll get into some of that. Coming up, want to take a phone call here at 888 900 888-900-3393. Pat from New York, sir. Welcome to the Chris Salcedo Show. Hello, I'm a girl. Oh, hi. Um, that kind of Pat. Hi, <laughs> Pat. How are you? I'm okay. What's um, going on? I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller to your show. Um, I, I have a question um, regarding, uh, is there something, do you know, is there any kind of legality uh, or law, something, that can be brought against this 
three-way circus of, you know, wasting time, money. Like, things are not happening. It's as if things are coming to a screeching halt while they do all this crazy stuff. Is there some, some, um, something that can be brought against people? For, it's, it's like obstruction. Right. Um, uh, obstruction, is not, obstruction is not illegal. As a matter of fact, the case can be made that uh, those who vote for the, the types of individuals who are undertaking obstruction, uh, that that's, that's what they, they were hired to do, was to get in the way of the other party and to stop the other party. Unfortunately, there is one political party that's good at it, and there's another political party that stinks at it. The, Republic, the Republican Party stinks at obstructing uh, left-wing extremism. And they, they demonstrated that aptly in the last administration as, as the, uh, the Obama administration just run, ran roughshod over the Constitution, ran roughshod over the American people, diverted taxpayer money to foreign enemies of the United States, uh, slapped our allies across the face, and aided America's enemies. Uh, I am, uh, I, I'm not exaggerating. You know, that's, the, that's the way I see the previous administration. So the, the oh, simple answer to your question is, is there any recourse for us, uh, financially speaking? Can we, can we sue these elected leaders? The answer is, well, you can sue, but you won't get very far because they be, th- th- that's what they believe they're elected to do and how, and if their constituents want to keep sending them up there to Capitol Hill to get nothing done, that's, that, that's their prerogative. You're, the American people are voting, or at least those people in those districts and in those states are voting for these Democrats, so they go up there and get nothing done. Wow, that, that's unfortunate. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I want to know, there, there ought to be a law, you know? <laughs> well, you know, and not so much of a law, but there, there, there ought to be an engaged population, Pat, that says, I find this this distraction unacceptable. I find it unacceptable. And you know what? If you continue to do this, we're going to make sure that you're not reelected. You know, it should be unacceptable on both sides. I mean, it's wasting everybody. Well, I suppose the other side doesn't consider it a waste of money. Whatever they can keep, you know, Trump from doing is, is a victory. So I, I guess, right. you know. So, yeah, yeah. this is... Now, D- Donald Trump is doing an awful lot by himself. And uh, I am getting the sense, and I'm, this is cautious optimism on my part, Pat, but I'm getting the sense that there are some gears moving in the Republican-controlled Congress because they are getting the word from their constituents. Stop. You Don't join in the obstruction. You have the majority. Start acting like it. So we're hearing about movement on the repeal effort of Obamacare. We're hearing about movement in tax reform, which by the have uh, Congressman Brady uh, from uh, the chairman of the Powerful Ways and Means Committee on Friday here to talk about the efforts to, to get us a tax code that isn't the disgrace that progressives have foisted upon us. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, Pat, while well, I've got you, uh, and if you want to talk yeah. about wasting, wasting the American people's money, can it be any more wasteful than Obamacare? There was a, uh, a, a graphic that was put out for the individual market premiums since uh, from 2013 to 2017, the increase was averaging 105% increase. Places like Utah, it's 101%. Wyoming, up 107%. And Alaska, 203%. Oh my God. 
in Tennessee up 176%. Uh, progressives are on the Chris Salcedo Show Facebook page right now, Pat, saying, well, Obama and the Democrats said that it needs to be fixed. Oh, no, to the contrary. To the contrary. Right. They told us when they shoved this down our throat, it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And that's why they didn't allow any Republican input on it. And, and now, we would save money. That should be criminal right there. Oh, well, yeah, well, yeah, that's called a, that's what we call them in the par, in, in the, uh, the vernacular, uh, a broken promise. But these Democrats are never held to their broken promises because you have the basket of biased press who don't give a damn about holding these, uh, these elected leaders on the Democrat side to their, to their promises. They instead want to talk about Donald Trump, and here he is six months into his administration. Hey man, where are all your where are all your promises even though he's he's fulfilling all that he can by himself. Um, th th these are the same individuals who gave Barack Obama a pass on all of his broken promises. Mm -hmm. I yep. call my congressman as often as they'll talk to me. What do you um, call him? What do I call him, <laughs> sir, mister? <laughs> I'm polite. Well, very nice. Very. By the way, who is your congressman? Um, for our little area, it's Tom Reed. Um, you don't hear much about him. He he scores an F on the what is it, conservative review scoring. So, <laughs> Tom Reed is he a Republican? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so I'm a, yeah. you must live in upstate somewhere. Then that's that's the reason why. Um, yeah, we're kind of the bastion of li liberality in, in New York here. This is where Cornell University and Ithaca College is. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, they call it 10 square miles surrounded by reality. <laughs> oh, that's also Washington, D.C. Uh, no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, lady, I appreciate the call. I'm glad it's your first time call, and uh, don't be a stranger. It was a, it's a fine question. I think that your your question is indicative of how a lot of people out there are looking for recourse or are, are tired of these elected leaders getting up there on a Capitol Hill and saying, well, we're going to raise your taxes because we need your money uh, uh, because it's up to you to fund all, all, all of our kooky left-wing whacked-out ideas. And uh, people go, wait a minute, yeah. where's our recourse? And unfortunately right now, the only recourse we have are elections. And even that is not enough because as, as we see, uh, just yeah. electing Republicans isn't enough anymore because they don't, they tend not to want to uh, be as aggressive oh. as their Democrat counterparts are when they're in power. Yep. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Thank All you, right, lady. Thank you so much. Appreciate the call. <laughs> call again. Telephone number is 888 Let me start this. Uh, uh, Senator Heinrich, I guess is his name. It got pretty dicey in here for a minute, folks. And here today, and you said that you would solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And now you're not answering questions. You're impeding this investigation. So my understanding of the legal standard is that you either answer the question. That's the best outcome. You say, this is classified. Can't answer it here. I'll answer it in closed session. That's bucket number two. Bucket number three is to say, I'm invoking executive privilege. There is no appropriateness bucket. It is not a legal standard. Can you tell me what are these long-standing DOJ rules that protect conversations made in the executive without invoking executive privilege? Senator, I'm protecting the president's constitutional right by not uh, giving um, it away 
before he has a chance uh, to You're having view it, both it. and ways. secondly I am telling the truth in answering your question in saying it's a long-standing uh, policy of the Department of Justice Are those not policies to time written? it even uh, and to make sure the president has full opportunity uh, to uh, decide these issues. Can you share those policies with us? Are well, they written down at the Department of Justice? I believe they are. Uh, certainly this is the appropriateness it's, legal standard for not the, answering congressional inquiries. It's the judge, my judgment that it would be inappropriate for me uh, to answer and pr reveal private conversations with the president uh, when uh, he has not uh, had a full opportunity to review the questions and to make a decision on whether or not to uh, uh, approve such an answer. One, there are also other privileges that could be invoked. One of the things deals with uh, Cam, uh, the investigation of the special counsel. As and other, we're not asking well, questions just, about that inv investigation. If I wanted to ask questions about that investigation, I'd, I'd ask those of Rod Rosenstein. I'm asking about your personal knowledge from this committee, which has a constitutional obligation to get to the bottom of this. There are two investigations here. There is a special counsel investigation. There is also a congressional investigation. And you are obstructing that congressional delegation, uh, investigation by not answering these questions. And I think your silence, like the silence of Director Coates, like the silence of Admiral Rogers, speaks volumes. I would say that I have consulted with senior career attorneys uh, in the department, I suspect and they believe you have. this is consistent with my duties. Okay, so that that, that was all about uh, a back and forth. He said, "Did you have a conversation with Mr. Trump about this?" Okay, uh, well, my my conversations with the president are private, and I'm not going to divulge them here. Uh, <laughs> So that this this is you can see the, the 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 and the Democrats know this, that it has never been the practice of this of of anybody in the president's cabinet to get up in front of a congressional committee and dish on what the president tells them. It has never been the tradition when it comes to top secret information. The executive can invoke executive privilege, but this is what the Democrats are wanting. They want Donald Trump to invoke executive privilege so it can seem like he's trying to hide something. And what these Democrats are trying to figure out is, did Donald Trump talk with you about this and this and this and this individual and James Comey? Well, of course, these conversations took place. I'm not going to divulge with you the nature of these conversations. They're none of your business. They're none of your business. He's the president of the United States. If you have a specific question about Russia's interference in our election, let's have it, Senator. But if you don't, and if you have a charge you want to level at the president of the United States, let's have it, Senator, and we can talk about it. But other than that, you're, you're not privy to my private conversations with the president of the United States. Triple uh, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. Salcedo Show. Welcome to the blaze, everybody. Be right back. Conservative Talk Radio with Spice. The Chris Salcedo Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
Salcedo. Well, I think we've covered the heck out of out of the fireworks so far. The attorney general being in, in front of this committee. Uh, if if anything pops up that I see that it's of interest, we'll 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 dip back in. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, I want you guys to uh, stick around. We have uh, Jed Babin coming up. And uh, I haven't had Jed on the program in an awful long time. And I called him up yesterday. And I said, you know, not only would I like to, to, to tap into your, your expertise about what you see going on there, I want to do a little counter-programming, if I could, uh, to what's going to be happening on Capitol Hill, the whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing. And what spurred this on was a comment by, by Charles Krauthammer. And Crownhammer basically said, we've got real serious issues going on in there right now. Uh, the, the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, um, Iran. We've got real serious stuff going on. And the administration is being mired in basically lunacy by, by a Democrat party that can't, can't get beyond the fact that it lost an election. So I wanted to talk with Jed Babin, who, of course, for those of you who don't know, was the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for President George H.W. Bush, who just recently celebrated a birthday. So we'll get him on and we'll talk about some of these things. Um, the Secretary, the current Secretary of Defense, Mattis, had something to say about the failure of the body that we were just listening to, Congress. We were listening to the Senate, but in of Congress in general and their inability. And this dovetails perfectly with what Pat had called about. What do we do? What do we do with these people who get up there on Capitol Hill and just and waste taxpayer money, get up there and do this kind of thing uh, and allow all the other things in this government that need attention for example, taxes, Obamacare, things that affect your and my life directly, the defense of this nation. Well, Mattis says, you know, the uh, sequester, which was Obama's big idea to force lawmakers to do some work for a living. And they didn't. They failed, of course. And then sequester went into, went into effect, which basically cut defense and did across the board cuts in in government spending the democrats said well we don't want to let you defend the country if we can't have our entitlements because uh we don't want to live in america where the government is in control of everything uh, okay i've never understood that position but that's just that's how the democrats feel about it so we've got that this sequester just decimating the military, and we've told you guys the stories. Uh, Fox News, hat tip to them for talking about the dilapidated state of the U.S. military and how we can't keep birds in the air. We can't, uh, airplanes, can't keep uh, airplanes in the air. We can't keep ships sailing. We can't undertake our defense mission or even our commitments abroad because the American military under resident Obama has fallen into such a dilapidated state because he really didn't give a damn about them and about defending this country. Uh, Mattis says it was a failure of this Congress. The Congress did more damage to our military 
Check this out. And I'll play the soundbite when I get Jed Babin on. That, that the Congress of the United States did more damage to the U.S. military than our enemy has. Think about that statement. Think about that statement. And we'll ask um, Jed Babin about what's on his plate. Not only about to comment on Mattis, but these other hotspots. Uh, again, counter-programming to Russia, Russia, Russia. Uh, because And some of you have actually sent me emails saying, Chris, you know, I know this stuff's big news and you've got to cover some of it, but can we push back on the narrative, please, of, uh, of what the Democrats want to put out there? Uh, because they seem to be running the, the political narrative. And you know what? These individuals who sent me that kind of thing, they're right. They're absolutely right. So one of the things I did want to get into, and I'll, I'll just whet your appetite a little bit, was the civil war going on in one political party. Now, you know about what's going on on the Republican side because that's highly publicized. And we've even talked about it, that the election papered over those differences between the Republicans and the conservatives, but they're still there. What you've not heard about is the civil war on the Democrat side, which because the basket of biased press who are not dedicated journalists, they're dedicated Democrats. They don't want to tell you about stuff like this. The Hillary Clinton campaign did not spend their money on white workers and they did not spend their money on people of color. They spent it on themselves. Let's be honest. They took a billion dollars, a billion dollars, a billion dollars. I guess it was a billion dollars. And set it on fire and called it a campaign. You need to give the money back to the people, period. No, it's Van Jones. It's admitted communist Van Jones. Uh, and, you know, think, thinking that other people's money is his. <laughs> and, 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 and needs to be disseminated so long as it can be turned into political advantage. But, but understand, he's a man of the extremist left. And he's out there firing scuds at the Democrat Party and the former leader of the Democrat Party, Hillary Clinton. And this that's just one fissure inside of what's happening inside of the Democrat Party. We'll get more into it after we talk to Jed Babin, best-selling author, former Undersecretary of Defense for George W. Bush, H.W. Bush, up next on The Chris Salcedo Show. The Chris Salcedo Show. We'll be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. Show. Man, you've got to love Senator Tom Cotton. He just got on, got up to the dais, asked uh, Attorney General Sessions, hey, excuse me, do you like Jason Bourne movies? <laughs> do, do you like, what, what do we think happened to the Mayflower Hotel, which is where Sessions was alleged to have had this third meeting? And it wasn't a meeting. He was at, he was at an event where Kislyak happened to be at. So he's at this alleged meeting. He says, yeah, uh, did, has anybody on the Democrat side articulated how you were able to pull off such that the biggest caper collude with the Russian in front of hundreds of people at the Mayflower Hotel. 
and, and, and Sessions, all he could sit there is just laugh and say, man, thank you for asking the question because the line of questioning is utterly ridiculous, and it is. So we spent majority of the program talking about what's happening on Capitol Hill right now. So as I said, little counter-programming here with my next guest, uh, a good friend of the program, Jed Babin, best-selling author. You've seen his work in The American Spectator and RealClearPolitics.com. Jed served as a deputy undersecretary of defense in President George H.W. Bush's administration. Mr. Babin, welcome back to The Salcedo Show. Hey, great to be with you, Chris. Uh, first off, just as a general uh, uh, commentary on what's happening in Washington, D.C. with this it doesn't seem to be a fixation on Russian collusion because, as I predicted yesterday, Mr. Pavin, uh, as we saw in the Comey hearing, there's scant attention being paid to what the Russians actually did to us. All that the, the Democrat side of the aisle seems to be consumed with is, is trying to nail Trump administration officials on what they did or didn't say or what they did and didn't do and send up as much smoke as possible. That seems to be the the objective of these of these hearings well don't forget the ultimate objective here is to impeach president trump and the democrats uh, i guess just can't understand why they haven't been able to yet and they just keep fishing and fishing and you know nothing's biting so they're just going on and on with a lot of political theater that i frankly am bored with it just doesn't make any difference right in the meantime there's a lot of serious stuff going on out there as articulated by the Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, telling the House Armed Services Committee just yesterday that Congress has done more damage to the military than the enemy has. I want you to listen to the soundbite, uh, Mr. Babin, and then comment on it. Here it is. We need bipartisan support for this budget request. In the past, by failing to pass a budget on time or eliminate the threat of sequestration, Congress sidelined itself from its active constitutional oversight role. Continuing resolutions coupled with sequestration blocked new programs, prevented service growth, stalled industry initiative, and placed troops at greater risk. Despite the tremendous efforts of this committee, Congress as a whole has met the present challenge with lassitude, not leadership. I retired from military service three months after sequestration took effect. Four years later, I've returned to the department, and I have been shocked by what I've seen about our readiness to fight. While nothing can compare to the heartache caused by the loss of our troops during these wars, no enemy in the field has done more to harm the combat readiness of our military than sequestration. <laughs> that, that floored me. My jaw dropped when I heard that. How about you, Jed? Well, I mean, it's, it, I can't disagree with one syllable of it, and it's the kind of thing that I've been writing about and yelling about on the air for a long, long time. Look, you just think about, I mean, Secretary Mattis is not only right, he's goddamn well right. I mean, the, the point really comes down to you've got a situation where, for example, about 70% of the F-18s in service in the United States Marine Corps are not combat worthy. You can't fly them on combat. About 60% of the same aircraft, the F-18s, are not capable of combat from the Navy. So you've got, what, I don't know, six or seven uh, Navy combat squadrons that can't even go into fight. You know, you've got a situation where the United States Air Force has, I think uh, the last numbers I saw was they only have 70% of their aircraft overall that are combat capable. So, you know, you look at what the Congress has done so far and given President, a small, given President Trump a small part of what he asked for, I think he got, what, $20 billion out of the $25 billion he asked for. That's chump change, Chris. You can't even get all those airplanes back in the air, far less fix what else is wrong with that kind of money. It's going to take hundreds of billions of dollars, and it's going to take years 
to get us back to the point where our forces are combat ready. And it's just Mattis is absolutely right. It's Congress's fault. They went along with Obama. They went along with sequestration. And, you know, now our guys are just facing the problems that that's all created. And it's a terrible, terrible disadvantage that they've been placed under. Yeah, and don't get me started on the Navy. They, they are plagued with similar problems that the Air Force and the Marines are plagued with with aircraft, with, with the ships sure. having, to, having to cannibalize parts just to keep planes or ships uh, uh, in, in theater in, in most of these cases. And I, I've, got to, I've got to tell you that uh, the F-35 strike fighter report that I saw, I think it was just yesterday, that this very expensive brand new aircraft, it too has oxygen problems. And uh, we've spent a boatload of money on this. And what I think is responsible for this is a Congress that has a government that is too big that can't be administered. And, and they're focusing on all the wrong stuff up there on Capitol Hill. Well, I mean, that's again, I can't argue with anything you're saying. You've got Congress, they're fiddling around. They can't even manage to do Obamacare. They can't manage to do tax reform. I mean, what the heck are these guys paid for? Beats me. <laughs> it seems to me they have very urgent tasks ahead of them. They've got things they have to deal with right bloody now. The aircraft that are unserviceable and not combat capable, those need to be brought in line or replaced. And it's going to take at least two years to do so. They've got to spend the money. They've got to do it. You know, the Marines and the Army are suffering, well, so is the Air Force, quite frankly, and the Navy, uh, from very long deployments. You've got many, many men who are, you know, quite frankly, unable to see their families, even when they're home, supposedly recovering from a deployment because they're so busy training and recovering from the last deployment. So it's, it's just a horrible situation. Let me just add one little thing. It's not a little thing whatsoever. I have a lot of friends in the special operations community. I think a lot of people don't understand they make up roughly, I don't know, 4 or 5% of the overall force. They're taking 65% of the casualties. We see these guys getting killed all the time. And part of the reason of that is we don't have a strategy in Afghanistan. We don't have a strategy in Iraq. We don't have a strategy pretty much anywhere. And everybody says, oh, yeah, let's send the special forces in. Well, you know, their lives count, too. And I think before we start, you know, agreeing to spend any more lives, we ought to figure out what the blazes we're doing. Well, uh, uh, you took me right where I wanted to go. Jed Babin, best-selling author. You can catch his stuff at uh, American Spectator and RealClearPolitics.com. The former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense under President George H.W. Bush. I kind of giggled a little bit when I heard that Dennis Rodman, the former basketball player, was heading over to North Korea until the breaking news this morning that uh, Otto Warm, uh, Warmbier uh, had, had been released from the communist custody. A comment, and this is going to help us get into the broader discussion of North Korea, comment on what you think happened here. Well, I think it's pretty clear. The State Department worked it out. Uh, Secretary Tillerson announced the release, I believe, before uh, Dennis Rodman got over there. And, you know, it's just this is a guy who has played with Kim Jong-un before. He's, you know, making a, a more of a stir than he really deserves to be making. And, you know, it, frankly, he cannot do any good or any harm. By being there, I think it's just a it, it's going to be fun for him and it's not going to be fun for anybody else. We've got 38,000 troops in South Korea right now. The South Korean government is screwing around with the idea of whether they're going to go forward with the THAAD deployment, the terminal high altitude air defense system, the anti-missile system that we want to put in there, that we are starting to put in there. And, you know, how are we going to protect our troops from North Korean missiles if South Korea won't let us deploy THAAD? It seems to me at some point, and I don't think we're at that point yet because the South Koreans are hedging and, 
hemming and hawing about what they're actually going to do. But if it comes to the point where the South Korean President Moon says to Mr. Trump, well, we're just not going to go ahead with bad deployment, Mr. Trump ought to say, you know, fine, that we're going to withdraw our troops. Yeah, that that would be the the final Trump card, if you will. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about the North Korean situation. It seems that the posture that the president had when he was running has softened on the communist Chinese because he has settled in on this notion that he needs the Chinese to combat a, a, a consistently combative and now dangerously close to a delivery system for nuclear weaponry. Uh, by the way, nuclear weaponry, cur- courtesy of the, the Clinton administration uh, in North Korea. But still, we have issues with, with the Chinese and what they've done in the South China Sea and their militarization have said. How do you strike that balance to where the United States isn't at a significant disadvantage as, as far as trade is concerned in the, in, in the Pacific, but also rein in with the help of the Chinese what's going on in North Korea? Well, you've got to make a choice. Uh, you're not going to have both. It's just that simple. The Chinese have talked a big game. They have never done anything substantial to rein in the nuclear weapons program or the missile program of North Korea. Uh, and, you know, they're balancing their trade with us against that. And they believe, and so far correctly, that we're not going to do much, uh, you know, to disturb their trade relationship with us. So you're not going to get the Chinese to do it. You know, Chris, we're going to end up with a situation. Well, we are in that situation right now. Let me just pedal back a little bit here. We're in a situation right now where North Korea constitutes a clear and present danger. Secretary Mattis has said that they are the greatest danger to the United States right now. And he's exactly right. The question is, what are we going to do about their missiles and their nuclear weapons programs? Unless the Chinese act to try to take those programs away peacefully, it will not happen peacefully. There will be a very big war over there. Probably hundreds of thousands of people will be killed. And I'm just hopeful we can avoid that. But quite frankly, at this point, I'm not so sure we can. Does a nuclear deterrent, uh, uh, nuclear, short-range nuclear missiles inside of South Korea and in Japan, does that, does that help bring uh, rational minds to the table? I don't know if there are rational minds to bring to the table. <laughs> I think that, well, seriously, with the South yeah. Koreans... That's rather true. the North Koreans, the North Koreans thrive on this. They thrive on trying to trying to bully us into paying them more and giving them more to uh, to forestall their nuclear and missile development. But you know, we played that game with them for a long time. Trump and Mattis have both said that the era of strategic patience is over. Okay, and that's probably right. So we're not going to pay them anything. We're not going to try to bribe them with trade or anything to try to get away from their missile defense uh, from their missile offense system. And they're continually, almost continually launching missiles on tracks that might actually lead them to Japan or to us. And you know, at some point, one of those missiles is going to be launched, which would be capable, maybe not actually be able to get here, but might be capable of reaching the United States. And at that point, we have to shoot the missile down and counterattack, because I don't know how else you get around this. There's going to be a, a very big and very horrifying war over there. And I'm just hoping we can avoid it. But again, I, at this point, I don't see how we can. A quick question here. I only have about 20 seconds left, but I just wanted to get your overall impression of President Trump's national security picks, CIA, SecDef, uh, Department of Homeland Security, NSA, that kind of thing. What do you think? A, a thumbs up from you? 
Well, middle thumb. Uh, I think he's got some very good people there. I think Mattis is good, but Mattis has some very uh, funky selections of people he wants in his uh, defense department. I think uh, H.R. McMaster, the lieutenant general who is the national security advisor, is a disaster. Uh, This is a man who goes around preaching that uh, terrorism is not part of Islam and it's alien to Islam. I mean, you know, there's some good guys there. Kelly at DHS is great. Uh, you know, I know other people in that cabinet. I mean, I know the Attorney General, uh, Jeff Sessions. I know HHS Secretary Tom Price. They're top-notch. But, you know, that's not part of the uh, the national security team. And, you know, at this point, again, I think they get about a C+. Plus. All right. Former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense and President George H.W. Bush's administration, Jed Babin, everybody. Sir, always appreciate the conversation. We'll get you back on soon. Thanks, Chris. All right, more to come, folks. We'll wrap the show up coming up next here on The Blaze. The media wasn't ready for a conservative Latino, so naturally, we gave him a show. The Chris Salcedo Show. On The Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, is able to pull that soundbite of Tom Cotton? You guys just got to listen to this. Hold on a second. Let me cue it up. Of any such collusion. I'll just suggest, what do we think happened at the Mayflower? Mr. Sessions, are are you familiar with what spies called tradecraft? A little bit. That involves things like covert communications and dead drops and brush passes, right? That is part of it. Do you like... Spy Fiction, John Le Carre, Daniel Silva, Jason Matthews. Yeah, Alan First, David Jason Ignatius. Bo- just Jason finished Bourne Ignatius's or- book. Do you, like, do you like Jason Bourne or James Bond movies? <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> have, have you ever, in any of these fantastical situations, heard of a plot line so ridiculous that a sitting United States senator and an ambassador of a foreign government colluded at an open setting with hundreds of other people to pull off the greatest caper in the history of espionage. Thank you for saying that, uh, Senator Cotton. It's just like through the looking glass. I mean, what is this? I explained how, in good faith, I said I had not met with Russians because they were uh, suggesting I, as a surrogate, had been meeting continuously with Russians. I said I didn't meet with them. And now the next thing you know, uh, I'm accused of some reception uh, uh, plotting some sort of uh, influence campaign for the American election. <laughs> it, 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 does sound, it does sound rather absurd that, that the way the Democrats want the American people to believe that the election was stolen from them was uh, these nefarious meetings in broad daylight in front of hundreds of witnesses. <laughs> It does strain credibility. John McCain is speaking right now, and I, 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 I don't want to, to make you all cringe because the last time this guy was in a meeting like this with Comey, he, he sounded like an unintelligent, unprepared buffoon. So I'm not even going to let you listen to it. Besides, I'm out of time. So there you go. We are spared John McCain. Oh, 
If only the folks of Arizona had done the same for the country. Hey, remember everybody, a society's worth isn't measured by how much power is seized by its government, but rather how much power is reserved. For we the people, back tomorrow. See you then. The Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you.